Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Please, again, take your Bibles and open them to Psalm 139, as that will be the source of our Bible study together, verses 13 through 17, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Life is Precious. Or you could also title today's study, Choose Life. Because life is a gift from God. Life originates in Him, from Him, and to Him. As in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. It's God's desire that we not only experience and enjoy life here on earth, but it's God's desire through sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to give us eternal life as well. Not just to enjoy now, but to enjoy eternal life, like Jesus said in John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to, it is our duty to value, celebrate, and protect life at all stages. And it's really tragic, is it not? That in our world today, in our culture, in our country, We've lost the value and the sense of value of life. You could say that our world and our culture and our government, many who have been influenced by our culture, have basically lost common sense. But that's the condition of our world today, and it has been. That's the condition and the results of sin. The only life that seems to be valued today is the one that's living or the one that can make a choice, or the value of freedom has been placed above in the value of life. Discussions now surround the quality of life. And isn't it interesting, whenever the quality of life is discussed, it's almost always, it almost always leans toward the one that's making the decision, not the one that needs the help. And a discussion along the lines of the quality of life is always a misguided, unbiblical discussion. Life, every life, despite man's feeble opinion of the so-called quality of value, every life's value comes from God and is worthy of breath, care, and love. Whether that life is in the womb or in a hospital bed or a convalescent home, life is to be valued, rescued, and respected. Now, like the proverbial frog in the kettle, the sinful world is warming up around us. While we slowly die a miserable moral death. Frog in the kettle, you say, Ed? Yes. Those that study such things decided at one point in time to take a frog and throw him into a boiling kettle of water. To which the frog said, no way, and jumped right out. Because it makes sense. It was startling to that frog, and it had the ability to jump out too hot. But taking that same frog, they put him back into the kettle of a cooler, warmer water. 
And then slowly but surely, one little temperature at a time, they began to raise the heat. And before you know it, that water began to boil again, but this time the frog didn't jump out because it didn't recognize what was happening around it. It didn't notice, and it died a slow, painful death. That's exactly what's happening in our culture, especially as it relates to the value of life. You know, the sad thing about this story and this true story of the frog in the kettle is that some may be listening to me right now and immediately sympathize with the frog dying. Oh, how could they do that? How could they do that in tests? Why would they do that to a poor frog? How cruel of them to do that kind of research. But the essence of the truth today is not about the frog. It's about human life. Oh, we know that the Bible is very clear that God values the life of animals. Indeed, absolutely. But the value of humans is always over and above animals. You could say that God, when he looks down on humanity, he sees us as his crown jewel, the beauty of his creation. God values life. We see that so very early on in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 15, listen, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Humans are the crown jewel of God's creation and worthy of life from the moment of conception. That's true. Life begins at conception. That's what the psalmist declares to us thousands of years before they discovered this literal biblical truth. Here in Psalm 139, we learn that life is in the womb and life begins at conception. Notice with me in Psalm 139, verse 13. It says, For you have formed my inward parts, and you have covered me in my mother's... What does your Bible say? You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame, or you might see a note in your Bible, my bones, the skeletal structure. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, and how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. According to the Bible, there is never a point in time where there is something non-human in the body of a woman in the womb of a woman. There's never a point in time where something non-human all of a sudden, suddenly, scientifically becomes human. A lot of people try to fix a point in time where they're sort of, you know, subhuman at this point and then maybe here and over there and then eventually, eventually that baby in the womb then somehow becomes human. So they use different words. And you have to understand in the culture that we're in, in the culture within, especially if you came up through the public school system, at a very, very early age, 
already are you beginning to learn or at least be taught that there is no God. There are especially no God as it relates to the Bible. And because there's no God, there's no accountability. And because there's no accountability, your trust will not be in God, but in man and humanistic philosophy and humanistic psychology in humanistic ideas and legalities, if you will. And so from a young age, and at every age-appropriate level, it gets worse, it gets worse. So you'll remember in biology, they begin to share with you the developmental stage of a baby, perhaps. But they didn't use the word baby. They used the word zygote. Remember that? Zygote. You're like, whoa, what's inside of me? Oh, it's just a zygote. Don't worry about it. And then the zygote becomes a fetus. That's a very popular word today, fetus. Very careful not to use the word baby, to dehumanize the humanity that is in a womb. Now, not using the word baby makes what makes that baby in the womb sound so inhuman, so scientific, even medical, and lifeless. Though the humanists would pass it off as just tissue. They're always careful, aren't they, not to say the name baby. Instead, you'll hear fetus far more. But if you look up the word fetus for the definition, you'll notice that it comes to us from the Latin. And it literally means offspring, bringing forth, or even the hatching of young. So even using the word fetus in context means the human offspring that comes from the womb of a woman. And for us, we need to be educated biblically and understand that from conception, life begins. And that precious baby grows at an incredible speed. That baby, God says, even of Jeremiah, when he was a baby, you know, listen to what he says in Jeremiah 1.4. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So life begins instantaneously as conception takes place. Then seven days later, tiny, that tiny human implants herself or himself into the mother's uterus. At 18 days, the heart begins to beat. At 21 days, that baby pumps their own blood through separate closed circulatory system. At 28 days, the eye, ear, and respiratory systems begin to form. At 42 days, Brain waves are recorded, a skeleton is complete, and reflexes are present. At eight weeks, all the body systems are present. At nine weeks, that baby squints, swallows, moves a tongue, and some of you know this about your kids, the baby even can make a fist in the womb and punch mom constantly. But even at this phase, they're not felt yet. All this is happening, and the baby's only about an ounce. And mom doesn't even feel her yet. At 11 weeks, there's spontaneous breathing, fingernails, and all their body systems are working. At 12 weeks, they weigh one ounce. At 16 weeks, the baby in the womb has their genital organs clearly defined, begin to grasp with their hands, swims, kicks, turns, and even somersaults in the womb. At 18 weeks, their vocal cords work, and in the womb, the baby can cry. At 20 weeks, the baby has hair on their head, or not, weighs one pound, and is about 12 inches long. And wouldn't it be great if we could just climb into the womb and see it all for ourselves? 
I mean, there is the ultrasound technology, and it gives you that black and white picture that has some definitions, but then they invented the 4D ultrasounds. I remember going to the 4D ultrasound for my grandson. It was a special appointment that we went into the room, we had TVs all up there, and they used the technology, and I mean, it was amazing to get a glimpse into the womb. I know I hear, I haven't studied too much on it, but I hear they're also now inventing a 5D. Whatever that other D is, I don't know, but it's going to be amazing of what we can see in the womb today. You see, what makes abortion so hard and difficult is that we live in a society that has legalized it, accepted it, and even celebrates it. What that means is that a woman, and in some cases a teenage girl, can walk into a clinic and in a few hours end their pregnancy, ending the life of the baby in their womb. Not not only that, they could also go down to the pharmacy and buy a pill over the counter that they can take within hours of having intercourse and will kill any baby that might be conceived. Not only that, I had a man come up to me after the service last night and share with me his story that we live in a culture where in this particular place his daughter went to school public school and told the nurse that she was pregnant and without forming her mom or dad they put her on a bus and sent her 200 miles outside of the county and allowed her and took her into a clinic where she had an abortion and her mom and dad didn't find out for years later And that's celebrated because it's legal and because it's accepted and because it's so common. And we as the church have a duty to stand up for what is right, what is moral, and what is God's reflection on life. It's unfortunate that many today have the authority and the legal right to kill the babies that are in their womb. Most of of the time without any second thoughts, bringing great damage to mom, to boyfriend or husband. In some cases, the boyfriend or husband doesn't even know it happened. And in our culture, we pay taxes. We pay taxes to improve the roads, and we pay taxes to put street lights up and Unfortunately, those in charge will often use our tax dollars to fund other people's abortions. That's our culture. It was in 1973 when nine of our most trusted people in the country, the Supreme Court, decided that choice was more valuable than life. And the arguments in that court proceeding, you know it commonly as Roe v. Wade, the arguments surrounded the right of some people not getting the chance to be born. They decided that babies in the womb were, in, were not as important as a woman's choice and could be eliminated at the whim of another human being legally. Who gave them that right? The creator? No. No, they gave themselves that right. It was given by men. Men that were accountable to other men for getting their accountability to God. And so it's been 47 plus years since that ruling. And the result? 
65,570,169 lives ended. That was the number from Friday at 11.10 a.m. Because there's a website that tracks these things. You can actually pull it up and you'll see the numbers track of how many abortions are taking place in real time. I'm certain the number has changed. I've taught this message a few times uh, over the years of the life of our church in one form or another, and the numbers have drastically increased even from previous years when I've shared this. 65.6 million lives ended. Does that put a lump in your throat? Cause your stomach to sink? It's sad to think of all this loss of life. It's literally sobering. I mean, think about loss of life. Think about another atrocious way life is lost through wars and a few wars that our nation alone has been involved in. For example, in the Revolutionary War, they recorded 4,435 deaths. In the Civil War on both sides, they recorded 498,332 deaths. In World War I, they recorded 116,708 deaths. In World War II, they recorded 407,316 deaths. For the Korean War, there was 25,604 deaths. In Vietnam, we lost 58,168. In the Gulf War, 529. In Operation Iraqi Freedom, 4,373. Abortion, since 1973, 65.6 million lives lost. And I don't know what happened to you as you heard, and you heard that number, but for me, my heart sinks a little. You can feel it in the room. Things get heavy when we talk about such subjects, especially from a biblical perspective. You're not even in the room with us. You may be downstairs in the overflow or on the radio or watching online, and you feel the heaviness because it is a heavy topic, and it's an important one for us as the church. It's the church of Jesus Christ that he has left on the earth to stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves, to speak out for those that don't have a voice across all the spectrum, in issues of injustice, in issues of homelessness, issues of abortion. The church has a voice. It's the voice of Jesus Christ. It's not our opinions. Our opinions don't matter. What matters is what God's word says. And God says that we're to stand up for life. And many of you, you have more capacity in your life to do this. You may not feel like it, but you have more capacity for in your life to do this. From the very beginning of our church, we have supported an organization here in Aurora that's known as Alternatives Pregnancy. They stand in the gap on the front lines to help people when they're thinking about having an abortion. And they rescue many, many babies from those abortion clinics. They weren't alternatives when we started, but over the years they changed their name and their, the direction and the, the depth of their ministry. But we support alternatives. Some of you may have a desire to go and help them. We also support an organization here in Aurora called Colorado Family Life, started by a couple, just two people, that had a burden to help teenage parents. They don't help exclusively teenage parents, but a lot of them are indeed kids that are having kids. Helping them as they've made the choice to keep the baby, but understanding what a long road ahead awaits them. To help them in their relationship, to help them even if they're young and married, to help them with skills 
I'll help them with job training. Some of you perhaps have capacity to help at Colorado Family Life. As a church family, we also support an organization, I believe uh, the Colorado chapters in the Springs, called Save the Storks. This is a beautiful ministry. What they do is primarily, they do a lot of things, but primarily they equip vans with mobile um, equipment to do the, um, I just forgot, what is it? Ultrasounds. They have ultrasound machine in there. And they drive around to strategic locations because statistics show that when a mom sees the baby in her womb, she says no to abortion. And it's taken off the table. Some of you have capacity to help and go serve with Save the Storks. Some of you have capacity to adopt a child. That's what God's will is for you. To open up your home and bring a child in and raise that child. Raise that child, whether or, not, whether or whether or not that baby was saved from abortion, you are opening your home and being available because you have capacity. Some of you have capacity to enter into the foster care system here. You can do that in a couple of different ways. Some of you have capacity right now as foster parents because that's just how you're made, where you can open up your home temporarily for children whose parents are really going through something. Maybe drug addiction, maybe they've gone to prison, and their kids get put into the system. And here the church is being invited into the system, so for a temporary time, because you can do it. You bring your children in, you love them, care for them, and when their parents get back on their feet, you send them back to their parents. Even still, some of you have capacity to enter into the foster care system, but to go one step further, and that is you enter into the foster care system fostering to adopt where you bring these high-risk kids into your home, and there's really very little hope that their parents will ever get right. So they go into the foster adoption process, and you have capacity. See, the church, we have capacity to make a difference in our culture. I know not everyone is going to walk. Some of you have capacity to talk about this openly at work. Some of you have capacity that you maybe know someone that has had an abortion and instead of being hyper-judgmental and condemning and the language they how could you, why would you, you shouldn't have. Instead, you walk into language of the hurt and the brokenness that this particular sin brings upon a mom that's chosen that or a dad that's chosen that and all of the brokenness. You see, the church has capacity. We have a place in this society and God has many open doors for us to take a stand for what is right. Some of you may want to get involved legislatively. You may want to get involved in the government level. And I say run with what God has given you. But we can't stand idle. We no longer can stand silent and idle when the world needs to hear the voice of the gospel in a very practical way. So let me pause here for a moment and just acknowledge to you that I know it's a hard topic. I know it's difficult. I always pray a little bit more, even anticipating standing here before you without, you know, I don't want to, I'm not going to water anything down. I don't want to be tempted to, but I also want, I want to biblically be a tool in God's hand to convince you of your role in the body of Christ. I want you to know how important it is to walk forward. You know, when we studied through in Romans chapter 12, those seven primary gifts of the Holy Spirit, remember what we said? We said these seven primary gifts of the Holy Spirit in His church represent 
Jesus as if he was on the earth today because these were all found in him. And as he ascended into heaven, he sent these gifts to his church. So we have a role and a place to be literally the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And I pray a little more when I deliver these more difficult Bible studies because my heart is for you to be moved by the Holy Spirit, not just by me. And I know for some of you listening right now, this particular topic is heavier for you than it is for others. Because as you look backward in life, it's a decision that you made. That abortion is a part of your personal testimony. Maybe you were a woman that chose that for yourself. Perhaps you were a man that coerced or forced your girlfriend or wife to have one. Nonetheless, it's a painful decision that you regret. You're born again now. And I know that your life, you, you have changed your perspective. I know that you look back on that time and you probably think this. If, if you knew then what you know now, you wouldn't have made that decision. You've repented of it. And yet still the guilt and the consequence plague you, even perhaps to the point of condemnation. So the purpose of bringing it up today is to remind you of the forgiveness of Jesus. That the blood of Jesus Christ is enough to even forgive this. And so you accept, you repent like any other sin. You come to him with a godly sorrow. You ask for his forgiveness. And then you receive it. And then you rest in it. Listen, every single one of us I can speak for myself because I'm the one speaking that I can look back while abortion is not a part of my personal testimony. I can look back in my life and I have much to regret. And that if I knew then what I know now, I think I would have made decisions much differently than I did. And I hurt a lot of people and, and there's a lot of difficulty, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame that I continually bring back to the foot of the cross. And I remember not just my sin, but I remember my Savior. I have to. Otherwise, it'll swallow me up. It'll destroy me. If I only look at my failures, if you and I, we only look at our failures, then we'll be swallowed up. But we've got to factor in the blood of Jesus Christ. But there's still another person that I need to speak to today, and that's those of you that might be considering an abortion right now. You might even have the appointment. And I think of that specifically, someone listening on the radio, you already have the appointment set up. We beg you, don't go through with it. Don't do it. Absolutely not the right, I can tell you with 100% certainty, it is not the right decision. So you say to me, well, Ed, what are you going to do? Are you going to help me? Call us. I, I don't know what we're going to do, but we will find you help. I don't know what we will do. I don't have the answer. I don't know your situation. I can't guarantee you anything except this. We will help you. We'll find a way. We'll make a phone call. We'll connect with people we know in the community. I guarantee you, you will make a bad decision if you choose without a... Don't do it. Call us for help. Even today, if you have... This is a part of your past and you need prayer. We have women that are already prepared and ready to talk to you privately and pray with you, woman to woman. Some of them even have this in their own past. And they can help. If you're a guy, pastors will be up here. And they can help you. And I'm not certain how many of them have it in their past, but you can talk to them. Pastors will take you to the Lord. If you're considering 
an abortion and you want help, come up and ask us and we'll start the process. I, I don't know how we will help. I, I don't know. Every situation is different. All I know is we'll do everything we can to help you and find an outlet for you. It's that important. And so it can start today. Maybe you need to call us this week or email us. And perhaps as this airs in different places around the country, we'll have to connect you with somebody local and our friends with churches. We have friends and churches in every single state of the United States. And I'm certain we could find someone if you're in another country. The point is this. There is help for you. Just ask. Just ask. God alone gives life and takes life. And rest in the forgiveness that the Holy Spirit has given you. Not only that, I want you to rest in the hope, if this is a part of your past, I want you to rest in the hope that you will be reunited with that baby. I believe that biblically. We have an episode in the life of David where he lost a baby. His baby died. And here's his response, inspired by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Samuel, if you want to mark it down so you can see it later, you might even need to memorize it so the Holy Spirit will comfort you. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22, it says, While the child was alive, I fasted and I wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him but he shall not return to me. Jesus died himself willingly to forgive you and give you hope. God is into saving lives, restoring joy, and setting you free from your sinful past. Jesus paid it all, and now that you're alive in Christ, he is at work in your life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And today we've set aside a moment to celebrate life. We celebrate and commemorate the sanctity of life, the value that God has placed on every single human being from the point of conception, life, your life, my life, not the quality of life, but life itself, babies' lives. Yeah, things took a wicked turn in our country in 1973. We kind of use that as a point in time, but let's put the clock back just a little bit. Let's go back beyond 1973 to the year 1967. It was in 1967, around June or July, that a young woman finds out that she's pregnant. And while we're not entirely sure what she's thinking and what's in her mind, we do know this. She's seriously thinking about not keeping this baby. We also know in 1967 that abortion in our country is illegal. And that is not a viable option for her. Her options were basically keep the child. And we do know she was single. We knew she was unmarried and we know she was very young. So she could keep the child and live with the stigma of having a child out of wedlock, or she could give that child up for adoption. Well, we do know that her choice was to give that child up for adoption. And in 1968, a young boy was born and placed into the Los Angeles County adoption system, waiting for his adoptive parents. 
It wasn't but a few months later that two young people who were unable to conceive a child finished their paperwork with Los Angeles County, and Mr. and Mrs. Edward Taylor walked into the adoption agency into the orphanage and took home the absolute best baby they could find. (laughs) They adopted him into their family along with their other adoptive daughter and they raised him absolutely 100% completely as their own. As a matter of fact, That young man that grew up as far back as he can remember, he knew that he was adopted, and he knew his story. They raise him as their very own, love him and care for him, even though that guy caused them so much pain, so much anguish. He was rebellious and angry, disobedient, and downright out of control. And just to mess with his mom, occasionally that guy would say, Mom, wasn't I so bad that you looked at all the paperwork of the adoption and you turned it over to see what the return policy was? And she would always say, I never did that. Don't you ever say that again. She heard me say it. She was watching. Oh, by the way, we're talking about me, by the way. But she heard me saying it live on service one day and I got a call and she said, don't you ever say that again. It's like, come on, Mom, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But it was bad. Even last night at dinner with Marie, um, just kind of caused this whole thing causing me to think back to the kind of pain I caused them. It was, it was worse than even at times I'm willing to remember. But that adopted kid does grow up in a loving home, and he ends up developing a relationship in high school with a young girl, only to find out early on in that relationship that she's pregnant. And here they are, these kids stuck with the results of the decision that they made. Scared, unbelievers, living for the world, in the world, like the world, not knowing what to do. They walk into a clinic asking for a free test that was available. And you have to understand the reason we went for the free test and the reason we went to a clinic is because I spent all my money on alcohol, drugs, and partying. That's the kind of guy this girl gets hooked up with. A guy that doesn't care, a guy that's abusive, a guy that would even put the risk of walking into an abortion clinic, even though they lied to us, we didn't know what that was, just for a free test. We walk in, we get the test, and had enough sense to us to choose to keep that baby. We didn't know what the future would hold, and certainly she did not plan to spend the rest of her life with me. She actually gave birth to that little guy and then left me for two years, which was a great decision on her part. And we never really thought we'd ever be together again. We kind of passed in the night kind of thing, you know, exchanging custody and fighting over that. And it was just a mess. It was a mess for her mom. It was a mess for my parents. It was a mess for us. It was horrific. And then out of the blue, they end up getting married, messed up and married and moving in together, and that was a mess. And things didn't get any better. They actually got worse. And then, hanging by a thread, the phone rings, and it's an old friend. He just was born again in some church in California and thought about the worst sinner that he was connected to and called him. (laughs) 
and invited him to a church very much like this. Oh, he didn't know how bad it was. I hadn't talked to him in years. He didn't know how horrible our home was, what a miserable life my wife was living, how miserable I, he had no idea, but God knew. And going back to 1967, and going back to the choices and the choices and the choices and the choices, it was in that church that I responded to the invitation to the gospel. I was born again, and life took a drastic turn, a drastic change. I get saved. I raised my family. That little guy, he ended up growing up, became a police officer here in Colorado. He married and started a family of his own before he passed away suddenly eight years ago. But very proud of him. His life mattered. His life still matters today. We also stayed married. Um, Marie last night said she appreciates all this. She, she said she likes me last night. <laughs> the only thing she gave me was a thumbs up. But you know, when you get a thumbs up, when you get a thumbs up, you can interpret that any way you want. So I would just say she's really into me. <laughs> but we've been married now, and so this year will be 32 years. Of course, we have two other children, and God is doing a work. And it's an amazing story, as brief as it is, of the amazing grace of God with life. And who knows what your story is? Who knows what your future is? But I do know this. The grace of God that I experience is the grace of God you experience. That God is not done with you. And God is wanting to use you into full capacity of why you're alive and what he wants to accomplish in your life. And I pray that stories like mine will inspire you because you look back and you think, well, you know, Ed, you made it. We did make it by the grace of God. But it was amazingly hard and difficult. And in many ways, I can use the word, it was horrific. And only God can do that. This is why the world needs the church to be the church. Not the church militant, but the church loving. That we can speak life into people. That we can give them hope. That, that we can help them. That we can walk in. Why would God give us so much capacity except to be messengers of love? That's his desire for us. Let me close here as we end. Would you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 30, please? Deuteronomy chapter 30. You know, the context of this passage of Scripture is the children of Israel. They're coming out of Egypt. They're establishing themselves as a new nation. And God tells them, look, I'm going to put a lot of choices before you. You're going to have good choices, evil choices. You're going to have choices of life and death. Choose life. That's what he says. You want to make it? You want to prolong? You, you want to you see generational growth? You want to see love pass from? Then choose life. Choose to obey me. Cooperate with me. Follow me. But I love it because there's also the application, very literally, that when you are in a position of choosing life and death, listen to what the Bible says. Notice with me in chapter 30, verse 11. This commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, 
death, and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and you're drawn away and worship other gods to serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that you have, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And I hope you have this marked already. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live that you may love the Lord God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. And now many thousands of years later, I am here to proclaim to you on behalf of God, choose life. God will bless and honor that in every way. Father, we pray that uh, you will take the sum of our weekend here with our church family near and far and minister comfort and encouragement, minister uh, vibrancy in life. If a Bible study will save a life, even just one, I'm all in. And I know it was challenging and stirring for many. It, It probed deeply for others. There's guilt and shame and condemnation that we just pray grace over. We pray the blood of Jesus over. I thank you for my testimony, as painful as it is. I'm grateful we get a few laughs through it because it is fun to laugh, but it's a painful, painful thing to think of in my life. It's hard. And I know I don't always remember the worst. And I just declare to you, I'm thankful that my biological mother chose life, that I'm alive today. That even in the twist of turns of my life and my rampant disobedience, you've been faithful to me, Lord. You've been gracious. You've been kind and patient with me. You've been loving and forgiving. And I know that testimony is shared by all of us. May we leave here remembering your great love for us and grace. May we be grace carriers and mercy carriers. May we bring hope into conversations. Forgive us, God, from buying maybe a culture line, maybe even approving of abortion. Forgive us, God, if we have been silent when we should have spoke or we spoke when we should have been silent. Forgive us, God, for not considering where to use our capacity. Because I know you're even increasing. We don't think we have enough, but you'll increase and you'll increase and you'll increase to accomplish exactly what you want from us. That we would lean into you and trust you with our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.